Today's scripture reading comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verses 11 to 21. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love, by this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's the word of the Lord. Would you join me as we pray once more? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you that you have called us into this space to be with you. Thank you for these words that we have heard that are not mere words, but they are words of life. We pray, God, for your spirit to come to give us understanding, and may you lift our affections uh, towards you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, if we haven't met, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel, and it's, uh, it's a joy to be able to worship with you all this morning. Uh, to be able to uh, preach this morning as well. Uh, we are continuing in a sermon series on the topic of the love of God. Uh, each week we've been considering a, dis- a different aspect of it, and we hope that with each passing week, our understanding of God's love will broaden and expand uh, because it is so robust, it is so wonderful. And today I want to have us consider the fact that the love of God is is not merely sentimental, uh, but that it it actually does something. Uh, The passage we just heard is is going to show us that there are three things about what the love of God does. So we'll look at first, the love of God transforms our relationship to God. Secondly, the love of God transforms our relationship to ourselves. And then lastly, the love of God transforms our relationship to others. So first, the the love of God transforms our relationship to God. On verses 15 and 16, it says this, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. 
Now, there, there are many scholars that believe that the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, uh, is also the author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And these letters were written to uh, a, a variety of house churches around the city of, of Ephesus. And one of the things that John is concerned about is that there are these false teachers in these communities who are trying to convince people that Jesus is actually not the Messiah. And another concern that he has is that people uh, seem to no longer be taking Jesus's teachings uh, seriously. And so even though people might have this knowledge of God's love, uh, there's concern that this knowledge is not changing people's lives. And so John, he tries to make the case here that the love of God is not merely a truth to know, but that it transforms our relationship to God himself. Uh, one of the things that John says here is that God abides in us. And so God is not some distant, far-off reality, but right now, at this very moment, God is dwelling in you. And this is what John means when he says that God abides in us, is that he chooses to be intimately tied to us, that he dwells in us. And he actually likes being with all of us. And what's remarkable is that once God chooses to abide and remain in us, he never intends to leave. When God abides in us, it means that there is nothing repulsive enough that will make him want to go away. And isn't this the kind of dynamic that we, we long for in relationships? Where, where we can be completely vulnerable and exposed. That, that our, our deepest, darkest secrets are, are revealed. And when that happens, people do not run away. So the love of God is evident in how he chooses to abide in us. He wants to be with us no matter how broken we are. And in turn, he invites us to abide in him. One of the most powerful ways that we get to experience the love of God and our relationship with him is to, is to sit with him, to remain with him. The love of God transforms our relationship with God because oftentimes we might think that we need to do a lot of things for God, to get his attention, that we might need to act a certain way, that we might need to meet certain standards and expectations so that God would notice us. But that is not what it means to abide in God. Pete Scazzaro, he started New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, and he talks a lot about emotional and spiritual health, and he once said this, we equate doing for God with being with God. They are not the same. I can do things for a person without a relationship with him, 
The Christian journey is a life of ever-deepening trust in God, developed through ongoing stages of growing union and friendship. And so abiding with God is, is less about doing things for God and more about being with him. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. And how many of us need to hear this word today? You know, how, how many of us have, have a hard time slowing down, taking moments to, to pause and to notice the presence of God in our lives? How many of us need to, to learn to practice being still so that we would know who God is? So the love of God transforms our relationship with God by showing us that it's not about how productive we've been, but maybe more so how still we have been. So not only does the love of God transform our relationship to God, but secondly, it transforms our relationship to ourselves. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So the, the abiding love of God uh, that dwells and remains in his people is then perfected in us. And, and what's important for us to see here is that our relationship with God is like any other relationship that we have where it's, it's a process. It is a journey, right? There, there, there's, there is a trajectory that is moving towards perfection and wholeness and completeness, but it has not been completely realized in our present day. It's still in the works. And so this might mean that God is abiding in us and that we are desiring to abide in him, but we still might have struggles. We're not always in tune with God's love in our lives. We might have moments where we might even doubt God's love for us. But despite these realities, John reminds us that God's love is being perfected in us. And John tells us a little bit more about what he means by this. Verse 17, he says, By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So here John mentions things like the day of judgment, and fear, and, and punishment. And so what, what is he talking about? I think he's getting at one of the most fundamental realities of what it means to be human. And that is for us to be connected to God and to one another. If we think back to the opening pages of the Bible and the creation account, you know, one after the other, 
The different pieces of creation are called good by God. But there was one time when God said that there was something not good, and that's when man was alone. And so within this paradise, there was something incomplete. And we can all resonate with the fact that that being alone is not good. We were made for connection, not isolation. We were made to be in a family, to have friends, to be in community, not alone. And as we follow this creation account, this beautiful paradise that God created, it becomes stained. The perfect relationship that God had with Adam and Eve that shattered, and there was separation. But despite this terrible reality, God gives us a hint that all things would be made right once more. And then the day would come when he would send Jesus to rescue us from this chasm, from this separation where he would bring us back into a whole and complete and perfect relationship with God, just like how he intended from the very beginning. And so the perfect work of Jesus, it transforms the way that we look at ourselves because we don't have to walk on eggshells wondering if there's gonna come a point where the rejection that Adam and Eve experiences is gonna be something that we will have to bear and have to deal with. Jesus, he gives us confidence that instead of being rejected, instead of being banished away, that, that we will be welcomed back, and that we're going to be accepted and embraced. And this is why John mentions that we can have confidence on the final day of judgment because Jesus's work on the cross, it was complete, that it did not lack anything. And so when God says that we are accepted because of Jesus, he, he means it, and that he is not going to go back on his word. But there are times where, where we do struggle Right. We might have ongoing insecurities that, that we're not good enough. That we, we might wonder if people do see us for our humanity. They, they see the inherent value that's in us. Being rejected by others, it still has this sting to it. One Christian counselor put it this way. We fear people because they can expose and humiliate us. We fear people because they can reject, ridicule, or despise us. We fear people because they can attack, oppress, or threaten us. These three reasons have one thing in common. They see people as bigger, that is more powerful and significant than God. And out of the fear that creates in us, we give other people the power and the right to tell us what to feel, think, and do. 
And friends, our passage here gives us the solution to all of this. Because John tells us that the perfect love of Christ casts out fear. He rescued us from ultimate rejection and separation. And so if this is true, and if we put our hope in this, then something's going to change where God will become bigger than other people. And then people that are around us will start to lose power and the right to tell us what to feel, think, and do. And what will matter more is that we will see that the God of the universe has the true power and right to tell us what to feel, think, and do. And he tells us that we are accepted, that we are valuable, that we are his beautiful children. And so today we're considering about how the love of God, it it does something. It transforms our relationship to God, to ourselves, And then lastly, we'll consider how it transforms our relationship to others. Uh, Verse 21 says, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, up until this point, we've seen how personal the love of God is. He chooses to abide in us. His love is being perfected in us. The love of Jesus, it drives out fear. But this isn't the the complete picture. Uh, One pastor put it this way, that Christianity is personal, but it is not private. And this is certainly the point in our passage Today, John is essentially posing the question to us, do you want to know if the love of God is truly in a person or not? All you need to do is look at how they treat other people. He says in verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now, at the time when John was was writing this to the churches, there there was all kinds of strife in these communities. There there was conflict with the the false teachers in these communities, uh, as well as with people who are being persuaded by these teachings. But there was not only tension because of these different beliefs that existed, but there was relational tension as well. And so John is trying to encourage the church uh, to not build walls between each other, but instead extend the love of God to one another. But isn't it true that, that we can come up with all kinds of reasons and conditions for who we will love and who we will not love. 
Maybe we judge people based on what kind of political party they choose to align with. Or maybe after learning about where they grew up. Or something as simple as their Enneagram type. Whether it's said or unsaid, we, we all have standards, don't we, of who we view as being lovable and who is unlovable. But notice that John doesn't say, hey, people, stop not loving people and start loving people. Right? He's not appealing to their wills. You know, throughout this passage, what we see is he provides a different kind of motivation to the church. He appeals to their hearts. He says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. So the love of God is distinct. It's unique because his love is is wider and deeper and broader than any other love. In many ways, God is a God who loves the unlovable. But for the longest time, there was a, a big problem. Right? We were completely separated from God. We were on track to receive eternal rejection from him. But then Jesus shows up. And Jesus received the rejection that we should have received. And then in turn, Jesus made us lovable in the eyes of God. And when we are met with this kind of love, we are then called to love others in the same manner. We are called to drop all the reasons and conditions that we held up for why we would choose to love some, but not everybody. And when we do this, the invisible God suddenly becomes visible. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Uh, I'm someone who, who went to church ever since I was, um, I was born, and when I was in elementary school, I was actually a terror child at school. Uh, sorry, at church. I was actually a good kid at school. You know, I was the kid that no Sunday school teacher ever wanted to have in their class. I was mean to all the other kids at the church, and I don't remember this, but apparently I would even spit on other kids while we're at church on Sundays. And because of this, understandably, not a lot of the other kids liked me. And so I remember there was this one day on Sunday where I was sitting on the steps in front of our church. I was sitting next to my brother. And all these kids come up 
and they're just talking to my brother, and they say, hey, you want to come and play with us? So my brother turns to them and asks, can my brother come too? And they say, Timmy? We don't want to play with Timmy, but you can come with us. And then my brother says, I'm going to stay with my brother. And I, don't, I didn't fully appreciate it at that moment, but I do remember thinking, wow, my brother didn't have to do that, but he did. You know, there, there is a power when someone loves you when you are unlovable. And suddenly the invisible God becomes visible to you. And what Jesus did was not simply some memorable story, but there is power in the work that he did. A power to make us acceptable, a power that made us lovable, a power that then allowed the eyes of God to come on us with utter love and delight and joy. And so as we go from here, may we continue to reflect and cherish delight in the love of God. Allow God to abide in you and and joyfully abide in him. And let's rejoice in the fact that that there is a perfect love that has casted out all fear. And may that then free us to love one another, those who are here at our church, those who are neighbors. And as we do these things, friends, the invisible God becomes more and more visible to the watching world. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we give you thanks for this beautiful reminder of your love for us. A love that is not merely sentimental, but a love that has power. A power that changes all of us who, because of our sin and our disobedience, our rejection of you, that we are made new, that we are now received into your love and embrace. And we thank you for the work of Jesus, who where he came into our world to rescue us from rejection. He laid down his life, received real rejection on the cross, He died, but then rose to new life and offers us an invitation to be children of the living God. And so, God, thank you for seeing us as lovable when we had no business receiving that kind of love. Father, I pray that that would change our hearts as well to love those around us so that there would be a beautiful experience of 
the watching world being able to see who you are and your love at work. So God, be with us and send us from here to be your agents of love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.